Hey, welcome to Digital Noise. This is the pre-Fantastic Fest edition. We are rushing to cover a whole bunch of titles, so because I am not going to be available generally for a whole week because of Fantastic Fest. But I'm here with Joe. That's right. Who bravely ventured into covering a huge amount of titles this week with me. I watched them, so you don't have to watch some of them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh We've got a ton of TV shows, we've got a ton of movies. First, let me just say uh, thank you so much for listening to Digital Noise and being a member of the Us. And you can be even more of a member of the Us by becoming a subscriber. You'll see subscriber links on the side of the page there. Uh, There are four different levels of donation. They come with uh, extra shows and all sorts of bonuses. And it basically just helps keep the lights on for everything else here. And we really appreciate it. If you do that, man, my heart goes, like, is with you. You know, I'm yeah, saying, no, he, like, like I'm I'm standing on the edge and the end of Titanic with my arms open, and you're standing behind me. So is that why you're always teary eyed? Because you're just like the fans, uh, pretty much. Okay, yeah, yeah that's worth it. Yeah, they're they're in my heart. Uh, also, all those you'll see a bunch of images at the bottom of the page, and those are all the the titles we covered with time codes and links to the Amazon pages. And if you buy any of those titles through those Amazon links, we do in fact get a kickback. Or in fact, if you click on it and buy anything from Amazon, as long as you start from our links, we get a kickback. That helps a lot too. Last of all, please click on the Audible.com banner and uh, sign up for a free trial. If you do that through our banner, we get a really healthy kickback from them and they've got just a ridiculous amount of audiobooks and magazines and ted talks and all sorts of stuff up there and like i said you can start off with one for free so that is pretty awesome and if you don't like audible but you do contribute a whole bunch of money i will read you an onion article <laughs> you, you, you'll, you'll like record an onion article yeah as morgan that, freeman though your books on tape yes on the onion on tape yes yeah, exactly well, that's pretty generous all right let's go right into what we like lovingly call the reviews and start off with uh what is i'm sure joe's favorite film oh it was it was badass Gemma at the past. bovary yes which the is cleverest clever movie that ever clever to clever. Well, it's it's a uh, French British but mainly French comedy drama that is based on a graphic novel, strangely enough, by Posey Simmons that came out in 1999. This is a sort of wry wink wink nudge nudge take on on of course Madame Bovary. Yes. Uh starring Gemma Gemma Arterton as Gemma Bovary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were getting super clever all throughout this. Uh she is uh, a, uh, a, a Mar- she's a, she's British. Yes, she's right? she's, she's uh, British. Who's moved to Fran- France and she's you know she has a pretty good understanding of the language, but she's not perfect. And she's moved there with uh, her husband, who's a much older man than her, uh, played by uh, Jason Fleming. And their neighbors are this older couple, and uh, the 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 man in question, Martin, is a uh, huge fan of Flaubert Flaubert. and uh, Madame Bovary. And when he finds out her name is Gemma Bovary, he sort of decides that, like, she is cursed (laughs) to live out the Madame Bovary story, which no one should do. No, not at all. And (laughs) and he kind of, you know, in, in usual French ennui, decides that the only way to break up the monotony of his life is to consider himself kind of like I'm a director and I'm watching all of these actors going around the stage. Yeah, he's he's almost fetishistic about fantasizing yeah. about her and like like you know, I mean Ma- Bo- Madame Bovary is like, you know, 
moves to a small country town with her husband who's kind of paying for everything and then starts off on a whole series of affairs, realizes she's ultimately not happy and then kills herself. Uh, and he's like, literally at the point at one point, he's like, no, you have to be careful because you're going to end up like dying. And she's like, what the right, fuck right. are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> and as much as he like doesn't want her to be that, he also wants her to be that and is in his own way kind of manipulating the situation uh, towards <laughs> it being that as she does indeed engage in a series of affairs with people. Uh, and the thing is, the, I mean, I can't. I, I think I like this film more than you did. It's still a little too... It it, th- it thinks it's a lot cl- more clever than it is. No, that's the problem I had. You see, because much like a Madame Bovary, the young law student that she has an affair with, there's a young law student. Yes. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is like he's, she's going down the exact path. And I think the problem is, is that there's if it was really where he was more literally manipulating the situation so it happened right. the way in the book I would have probably been like okay this is actually turning pretty creepy and right yeah yeah uh, but it has a, a certain amount of like no 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 fate means for it to be this way right and so and, things just happen that way too and, and they regard it kind of twee like oh this is you know it's kind of romantic yeah I mean it's the one real saving grace of this film is Gemma Arterton herself, who's just adorable as she like pouts and and uh, they, they get the perfect camera angles of her neck as she turns towards the light and what have you. And you're like, okay, she is indeed just one of those. You could see you could see almost anybody developing a major crush for on her in this. Hey, situation. if I were to be, I'd give her a sting. Oh, uh, I see what just happened. Yeah, uh, I didn't like it though. Um, I, I don't think this is... I, I like this a lot better than the movie-reviewed Madame Bovary. Yeah, no, I thought about that as I was more. <laughs> I don't like it, but I like it leaps and bounds more. Yeah, it's much more entertaining than that film is. And there's a certain amount of like wondering as you watch how far down this road of being Madame Bovary uh, is she going to actually go. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, honestly, uh, by the end, I was kind of like, well, that was cute and all, but what was the point? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> It was kind of like Cliff Notes. Uh, next up is Misery Loves Comedy. You know, that's funny. This is another film. That, this is the film that I enjoyed, but I don't think in any way lived up to the title. No, it, because it, it never, it was slightly unfocused and it never really had much punch to it. Well, it's, you know, I mean, the concept being is that looking at how most comedy comes out of depression and like, you know, most comedians being very sad and sure it starts that way, this, this documentary, and it ends that way. But in the meanwhile, it's really just comedians talking about comedy, which in and of itself is, if you're interested in comedy, is is interesting. But I didn't feel like there's any new ground right here. Uh, Kevin Pollack, a very famous comedian himself, is the narrator who surprisingly no one ever prompts into doing impressions, which is what well, he's ex- uh, uh, incredibly good at. But well, he, he he does get listed twice on IMDb as the writer. Right. Uh, uh, there's a huge amount of people in this, though. I mean, like, just where I kept going, like, Jesus Christ. I mean, like, the only per- notable yeah. person that I was shocked wasn't in this was Patton Oswalt. I was like, really surprised that he never showed up. Well, he's probably lambasting the, some social media person. So probably Somewhere, yeah. yeah. Uh, John Favreau, Amy Schumer, Sam Rockwell, Jimmy Fallon, Kevin Smith, Matthew Perry, Bobby Cannavale, Freddie Prince Jr., who, if you didn't realize, his father was, was, Fred, a, he was, was a pretty was formative Chico, uh, comedian. Not the man. Yes, <laughs> until he killed himself. Uh, Jermaine Clement, Janine Garofalo, Judd Apatow, Whoopi Goldberg, Christopher Guest, Chris Hardwick, David Ketchner, and more. Uh, 
And I think, if anything, this is most entertaining. Just like Jesus Christ, they keep bringing new people in. Yeah, it's like, yeah. how did they get the revolving door? How did they get this many people to agree to be interviewed for this? And the answer is because everybody likes Kevin Pollock a lot. Yeah, you know, um, I'm not sure why, but I can see it. <laughs> like I said, he's one of the best people in the world right now at doing impressions. <laughs> he, he, have you ever seen him on a talk show? It's it's almost frightening how good he is at. Them. Can be, uh, but yeah, I, you know, this is. One of those, like, eh, I want something to pass the time and keep me entertained uh, on Netflix. It's nothing to really go out of your way to see- seek out, I don't think. Right, because it doesn't really do a good job of even even making its point. But <laughs> as far as, as getting to hear comics talk, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, like, even with uh, Freddie Prince Jr., which the, this actually is notable for the first time he's ever publicly talked about his father. I thought that was dad, cool, yeah. You know, even that doesn't really get below the surface of it. No, no. At all. And I'm like, okay, well, it seems like that you were viewing this as a cornerstone here, and it pretty much just relates that it happened, and that <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr. thinks, well, I'm not my like my dad, so Which like, hopefully yeah, no not. Sh- no shit. <laughs> Looking at your career, it's like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> but you got Buffy, so yeah, there is that. All right, we should probably uh, talk about something that we were both super excited about, and that was Furious Seven. Oh, you mean the best movie to ever happen ever this year, ever this year. This is your favorite movie of the year? Mm, yeah, yeah. I'll go ahead and say it. Well, I'll say this. Like, it is one of the best play-it-loud, bombastic action films that, in terms of just sheer, sheer visceral enjoyment, like, ever. But that doesn't mean it's even mildly realistic, of course. No, and but... <laughs> but what like once it figured out that the, it shouldn't be, that's yeah. that's when it got great. Well, it fi- it always walks this fine line where you know that could never happen, but it never pushes it so far as to be like where you're like, I just can't even enjoy that. I would say its biggest problem, if any, uh, is that they're adding to the troop so much that like uh, Mr. Tyrese Gibbs and like uh, he's he's just so fantastic but he has to have such a tiny part because there's 9 million other cool ass people and in it constantly adding to it yeah. I love there's even a scene in this movie where they detail what everyone's purpose is in the crew <laughs> you know who they are Alpha Mrs. Alpha Hacker <laughs> Joker, which of course is Tyree Skips, is like, what? I'm not Joker, I'm second alpha. <laughs> uh, the plot here, such as it is, uh, you know, in the last movie they beat Owen Shaw, played by uh, Luke, uh, what the hell was his name? Luke, the guy from who was in the Hobbit movies. Uh, oh. Uh, anyway, yeah, that not guy, Jason Statham. Who, who's in a, uh, who is in a uh, hospital bed all burned up looking. And his brother, in the beginning we see, is like basically shown up to tell tell him, you know, even though he's in a coma or whatever. It's like, hey, I'm going to get revenge for what they did to you, played by Jason Statham. With a pretty carrying a rosary. <laughs> with a pretty funny sequence with as he leaves the hospital, we see that it was a like a military place and like it's just decimated like we missed the scene where he came in and just blew it to shit and killed everyone <laughs> which is a great way to start a movie yes it sets it off on a good note and it's weird that like jason statham while being certainly like the primary entertaining antagonist is really kind of a secondary antagonist for the film because like most of the film involves this weird plot about trying to steal a, a god's eye yeah the same thing that that uh the dark knight used <laughs> you know which can take any cell phone anywhere any camera and like track people with it uh bringing in uh, and i think much 
with much necessity into the series, a new character played by Kurt Russell. Oh, no, he was completely necessary. going to be their new sort of, like, you know, the guy they, who comes to bring the missions. Well, know? actually, I would argue that, that the, the newest member of the cast is Corona Beer. <laughs> oh, right. Well, they do make a point of pointing out Corona Beer a couple different times. But, you know, you have a movie that costs $190 million. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's got set that some coffers. Uh, and, you know, there's a series of, like, very elaborate, and I mean really elaborate set pieces on their path to get this thing and then lose it and then get it again with ultimately their prize being, okay, if we do this for you, then you help us get Jason Statham. Right. Yeah. And then, and then of course, uh, the the, the uh, combustible elephant in the room is is uh, saying goodbye to Paul Walker's character. Yeah, which I thought they did a phenomenal job. They did it good really well. I like, mean, like, I... Did you tear up a little bit at the end with the montage and the whole, like, cleverly done goodbye veering off sequence? Yeah, it was like, well, that was really well handled. I, I, I think that they hit the nail on the head on how to give bros feels. Uh, yeah. Like, this was total bro feel. It was, com- well, I mean, this series, ever since it really found its feet, which was about uh, the fourth one, really. Uh, has been totally about that. That's the, I mean, that's why every opportunity Vin Diesel says, family. Hey. I don't have friends. I have family. Oh, that was, that was going to be my sign-off for this review. <laughs> ask, ask me if I have friends. Do you have friends? I don't have friends. I got Furious 7. <laughs> like it. Uh, really, the star of this one, though, is outside of Vin Diesel's lovely grating voice, is the giant stunt pieces that much like Mad Max were done largely impractical. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of extra features on this Blu-ray that make that very clear showing you step by step how they did all these incredibly elaborate action se- car action sequences that are super impressive to watch uh, and very well filmed from a brand new director to the series James Wan who I believe is at this point just signed on for like the next three years. Well as he like should because he proved himself. Well he like as, as much as I've enjoyed 4 through 6 and they were really fun this this is by far the best Fast and the Furious. Film. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, uh, from sky- skydiving in cars to like one of my favorite bits in this whole thing is where there's a chase down the side of a mountain just through all these trees and everything. And this one car like sort of like hits a ramp or whatever and goes midair and just is impaled by a giant tree stump. <laughs> and I was like, that had to be CG. No, they really did that. They built, they had this huge tree stump and they put a giant metal spike in the middle of it. So it would hold up and then yeah, <laughs> impaled this car at full speed into it. Uh, this is just fun. Yeah. It's- you know, I mean, it really is. It's got great punch up on the script, you know, so it's always funny to watch these characters interact with each other. You like everybody in it. Um, yes, it's all wildly improbable and even kind of stupid, but you know what you're getting into. This is kind of the new pre uh, Daniel Craig James Bond movies, you know? Yeah. Where it's like the old James Bond where, yes, we know it's silly, but boy, do they know how to make you have a good time <laughs> while you're watching it. <laughs> uh, and the more than enough special features on this as well to make it really worth your while. Uh, okay, moving on. I'm going to talk about one you didn't get to see, but I did. Closer to the Moon. This is a 2013 Romanian-American comedy drama film uh, starring Vera Farmiga and um, 
Mark Strong. Now, one thing, I'm a big Mark Strong fan. Oh, yeah. And he always gets, has to, is stuck playing a sort of like mustache twirling villain or very small supporting roles. I always felt like, you know, I think when I see him be funny, he's really good at it. And he is a great leading man. And this film really proved this to me. Uh, it takes place in post war communist Romania uh, in 1959 in, in uh, Bucharest, where this group of, like, you know, the high society, but all Jews, and at this point, Slowly, the Russians are kind of going, okay, let's, we're taking the Jews out of these major positions one by one. And all these guys are very well thought of high, you know, like one's a top scientist working for, for their space uh, agency. Uh, uh, Max, Mark Strong's character, is a colonel for, for the military. And they're starting to realize what's happening here. And they're all like, you know, intellectuals that go and have wine and laugh about like why Stalin sucked and <laughs> <laughs> do they get sweaty collars and go good boy yeah pretty much uh, but they basically decide well you know what like we're all going to be like the way this is going we're probably going to be killed or put in prison or something like that eventually so let's go out with a bang and they do that by faking a uh, film shoot while robbing a armored car oh. uh you know, like telling them, don't worry, it's just a film shoot. And it was like, oh, and applauding and everything. And they were actually robbing this guy, but they all get caught. And this all happens in the beginning of the film. A lot of the rest of the film is a flashback as we have this character who is watching this, a young cafe worker played by Harry Lloyd, who, after seeing this, kind of falls in love with film and decides to get involved with it. And it's not till much later it's revealed, oh, my God, these guys were actually that this was real, they mm-hmm. lied about it. And he, by that point, has ingratiated himself enough with the local film community that he's putting his first big job is to give to be the cameraman covering basically the trial and then recreation of the crime on film uh, with this, this foursome uh, in order to show, oh, these are just bad people to, to send a message. And it turns into kind of a screwball comedy as <laughs> none of these people thought they were going to escape death for doing this. They knew exactly what they were doing. In fact, chose to steal the exact right amount that would guarantee the death penalty rather than life in prison. Well, because they're smart. <laughs> you know, they're like, this is... It, I mean, the one flaw I had with the... I, I thought this had at all was that I didn't completely buy their reasoning, like behind why they would do this in the first place. <laughs> but you have to just kind of take that leap of logic and go, well, I wasn't there. It was a different time. And I'm, it is based on a true story. I'm down with, you won't kill me because of my, my, my race or religion. You're going to kill me because I'm a thief. <laughs> well, they're coming in and they're kind of rewriting the film as it goes. And like, you know, the 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 Russian uh, official in charge is just kind of like, doesn't even know what to do. He doesn't know anything about film. So Max, Mark Strong is kind of coming in and like manipulating him and everyone else. And it's genuinely cute and funny. Um, and in, in fact, if you don't really believe this was real at the end, during the end credits, they have the actual footage that was oh, shot neat. of the, this, you know, of what really this, this fake movie recreation of the oh, right. robbery. Yeah. I heard about that. Cause it was the first time Yakety Sax was used as a score. <laughs> it should have been, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like uh, closer to the moon. Actually, I thought well worth your time. Much more entertaining. I from the Closer title to your heart. and the description, it looked really dry, and it's not at all. It's a lot of fun. Oh, okay. Mm. Next up is the big picture. This has been on my bucket list to watch forever. I had never gotten around to this one. This is Kevin Bacon in Christopher Guest's, I believe, the first film he directed. 
Ooh, I say. Well, I'm glad he got better. Uh, in 1989, <laughs> uh, and I'd always heard that this is like of the you know films Hollywood films about Hollywood. This is one of the ones to watch. No, 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 no. no. See, it's well. There was a period in time in the 80s where it was just movies about the industry. Uh, and they're extremely uh, masturbatory and self-serving, and this one is no different. In fact, I okay, I do have to say, it is really good at being masturbatory. I'll give it that. <laughs> uh, but it, it's all that shit I hate. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all the problems in the world that well, I didn't hate care the about. Player though, right? Uh, I didn't really hit the player, but I but this I'm talking about this just in particular. Yeah. It just executed everything. Like it was just the right amount of punji sticks underneath my fingernails. I actually kind of like this. I didn't think it was... Because I'd always heard people tell me it was really good. And the biggest problem is uh, Kevin uh, uh, Bacon, who's playing, you know, this young guy just out of, got out of school, won a up-and-coming film director short competition, and now is getting offers and a chance to move up to Hollywood. His girlfriend here, played by Emily Longstreth, is the Jai Courtney of female actors. She is so wooden and so emotionlessly delivers every line she has. Like, how did she get cast in this? Well, in the the 80s, they were also really willing to give talentless actresses a chance if they kind of looked like a younger Meryl Streep. They were like, fuck it, she's she's got that same. Kelly McGillis. She had kind of a Kelly McGillis thing going on. Sandy Blonde, let's do it. Uh, But fortunately, she's not really in most of this. Uh, It has Kevin Bacon dealing with a movie executive, J.T. Walsh, who, of course, uh, is saying, oh, yeah, we'll make your dream picture, but then starts saying, like, oh, no, we got to change this, we got to change this, we got to change this. And we're watching Kevin Bacon get seduced by Hollywood by a young uh, starlet Terry Hatcher who's basically steals him away from she was fantastically uh, horrible in this yeah well she's not a good actress <laughs> no she's not she did look sexy I'll give her that yeah except for the first time you see her with yeah the hair, horror hair hair all the way to God yeah well you know I mean it was what 1988 or 1989 so what are you gonna do um and you know him like he's got this smarmy agent played by Martin Short who's playing it way more like satirical than anybody else in this movie is. Yes. So he's a Saturday Night Live character and no one else is. You know? <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> uh, Michael McKean, who's doing the opposite and playing it so down to earth. Yeah, playing a real human being. <laughs> that you're like, why are you in the same movie with all these other people? <laughs> I found his character interesting in that I actually like this character. Well, you do, because you want to see more about him because he's actually a human being in Hollywood. You want to have him turn to the screen and go, look. Let me tell you what really is going on out here. Not a lot of this other bullshit. <laughs> if, if, if you're feeding off of elephant shit, it's going to be stinky. And then Jennifer Jason Lee is his friend and our earlier fil- classmate filmmaker who is... I don't know who she's supposed to be. Oh, she's just supposed to be ridiculous. Crazy, arty, goth girl. I think she was supposed to be Lady Tim Burton. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and, and I thought... I, I did enjoy parts of this, uh, you know... Um, it's just there's nothing that's not predictable, and ultimately this takes no chances of any kind. No, no. It heads exactly where you think it's going to head at the end of it. You know, which it's a very 1980s movie in that <laughs> they were trying to sell it to a big audience, and they were not, in fact, taking any real chances. And I think it's more masturbatory because of that, because of the fact that, like, you know, it's all these 
like playing on Hollywood tropes and like some direct snark at people in Hollywood that nobody's ever heard of, but the script itself is just a total piece of fluff. Yes. Well, okay, the one thing I did really like other than Michael McKeon. Okay, so two things. Second thing uh, is also during the 80s, if you were a director, you had to wear a baseball cap because Spielberg did. Yeah. So you can tell who's a director because they're wearing a baseball cap. Yeah, those are the scenes. (laughs) This is weird stuff early on, too, where, like, in the short films people are making, they got people like Eddie Albert, John Cleese, uh, Elliot Gould, Roddy McDowell, June Lockhart. Yeah. What? Uh, And... I, I don't know how that happened, how they got the... I mean, I only assume Christopher Guest had made a lot of friends by this point in Hollywood, which certainly wouldn't be surprising. He's supposed to be great. But apparently... I'm this, surprised Meathead wasn't in it. Meathead? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Rob Reiner? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I can't, that was... Yeah, so that was before this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that is surprising that he didn't show. No. Uh, but apparently, this uh, like much like the pl- in the plot of the film, this was greenlit by a guy at Columbia Pictures, and then he was ousted two weeks after the production began. And the new guys at the studio had no real interest in the film, so they just kind of buried it with a limited theatrical release, uh, almost exactly like what's happening in the actual plot of the film. <laughs> you know, the irony, because and the reasoning is apparently a lot of the executives felt they were being directly satirized <laughs> by the movie. <laughs> Sensitive Hollywood types. Yeah, they got thin skins. Yeah, some of them do. But yeah, I mean, I think the big picture is like, you know, I love Kevin Bacon. This is not one of his stronger performances Mm-mm. because it the film itself isn't sure tonally what it wants to be. Like, like at points it wants to be Hollywood Shuffle, and at points it wants to be very serious, and it yeah. ends up being not as good as... At points it wants to be the player, and at points it wants to be Hollywood Shuffle, and it's nowhere near as good as either one of those films. I would say if, it, if we had to have this movie to get to Tremors, then let it be. <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, next up is The 7-5. This is a documentary about arguably the dirtiest, well, the dirtiest cop that's ever been proven in New York City history, Michael Dowd, who was a member of the 75th Precinct in, in New York during Mikey the B. 80s, early 90s, who was seduced, I guess. Into, kind of? I mean, he was more the seducer of everyone else, but even he had like a sort of like, that moment where he was like, okay, there was already a lot of corruption and payouts, but he was the guy who was like, guys, this is pocket change. We yeah. could be doing a lot better. And really turned into like, I mean, this is good fellas if it was about cops, not gangsters. Yeah, very much so. You know, uh, this guy was a scumbag of the highest level who was doing like who who had, had made deals with drug dealers to protect them and was taking payouts from pretty much everyone and then that wasn't enough decided he was going to start buying mass quantities of coke and reselling it himself while becoming a big cokehead i mean he was a piece of shit yeah, yeah absolutely and in fact is now free from prison after uh 2 decades and is willingly the subject of this documentary yeah, you know? well- and it doesn't seem like he's even made up his mind of whether he was proud of what he did or embarrassed. I, yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely the thing because he did he did pull a fast mini yeah. for so long that how could you not be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like it was he did it for a really long time, uh, considering how big of a thing this was, and then how it led into like you know the films like here's all the cops at this precinct, and here's all the ones that were found guilty of extreme levels of corruption and bribery, and it was like all but two. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, to like with the fact that we still keep having 
cases come up of police corruption and everything, you wonder if they just got better at covering it up? I, I you know, I, I think that it, there really was a fair amount of reform and people are better about covering it up. Yeah, the combination of the two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a reason why. Like, hey, you, you're not allowed to, 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 to record me. Like, yeah, no, we are. Yeah, and still pretty startling, like, watching this this is very this happened very recently and one of the guys like basically his partner in it got off with zero jail time Mm -hmm. zero jail time for doing the shit they were doing (laughs) that's insane uh it is definitely it's a thick blue line is what it is not a thin one with uh, protecting the police from their own behavior i mean this guy should have gone to jail for the rest of his life Easily so. <laughs> yeah. And he got out in 20 years. You're like, ugh, yeah. Not even 20 years. But I, I think this is the kind of documentary, it's very well made, it will anger you, most likely, and it seems well-placed to come out nowadays. Well, and and uh, it doesn't really lose your attention. Not at all. Yeah, it moves very quickly, interviews with everyone involved, even hysterically, the drug dealers they were Yeah, that, that was that was a great part. <laughs> who are a riot. I oh, mean, yeah. you would never want to be in a room with these people in real life. They're clearly like one of those, ah, oh, this guy's funny. Yeah, funny how, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, he might stab you in the face, but uh, everything has a price. Yeah, it'd be one of those, like, if that, you're like, if that guy was cast as that in a movie, everybody would be like, this is racist. Unbelievable. Whatever. And you're like, no, that's the real guy. He's really <laughs> like that. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, next up is Spaced Invaders. Oh, boy. Now, this is an alien movie I can get behind. Oh, God. Yeah, like, uh, uh, this came out in 1990. It's a sci-fi comedy, I say with air quotes. Uh, it's subjective, man. With basically, this g- group of rejects from Mars, little, literally little green men in, in uh, uh, animatic uh, outfits, have come down to Earth because they misunderstood a rebroadcast of War, the H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, the Orson Welles broadcast of it for being, oh, we're invading, okay, let's go down there. And they show up deciding that they're going to do that as well, only, um, of course, that's not happening, and they're really incompetent, and one of them talks like Jack Nicholson for no apparent reason. Yeah, of course. But my my big thing was, uh, okay, even if they were serious about taking over the planet, they were ill-equipped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't even know how to use their own equipment, for one thing. And what they did have didn't really work very well. Nope. Uh, it does have the little girl from Jurassic Park, though. It does. And what's got to be one of her very first roles? Because she was very young in this. Yeah. Um, you know, she's actually a painter now, and a quite a good one. And you know, she's actually pretty hot. Yeah, she is pretty hot. But yeah, I was looking at her website, and it was like, oh my god, her paintings are like almost photorealistic. I mean, they're all of dinosaurs, but who gives a shit? No, I was looking, because apparently (laughs) she did do some Jurassic Park paintings, like, after, you know, several years after, and I was like trying to find them, and I couldn't find them They're probably all sold. Yeah, they probably are. Uh, but this is terrible. Yeah, no, it's just, it's awful. There's no, there's nothing, it's... There's, it's lots of, like... Just really obvious puns and bad it is, referencing. It is kind of dad joke the movie. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> There's nothing funny about. There wasn't a single moment in this that I was like, okay, that at least that was clever or, or well done. No, it's like aliens invade a small redneck town. The little girl ends up forming a bond with them, and them slowly realizing, okay, well maybe we the invading wasn't the best idea here uh crazy asshole rednecks in the town just trying to shoot everything that that might be an alien everything played to the ultimate level of just like 
not even trying to be mildly serious on any level, just just complete and utter barely trying to write a script satire. Yeah, and dad playing the the sheriff, but he wasn't even milk toast. He was like diet water. Yeah. <laughs> he was not good is what he was. Uh Douglas Barr, who I believe actually was in yeah, he was a big T V star back in the day and like Fantasy Island, Love Boat, Murder She Wrote, stuff like that. Um, well the fall guy. And he was in Deadly Blessing. <laughs> uh but yeah this is god damn fucking skip this movie yeah I mean, the only reason to see this is to see how bad it actually is or to improve your own jack nicholson impersonation <laughs> no that will not help no i mean so you can feel better about yourself man <laughs> next up is hbo's nightingale this is uh came out last year it's a one-man show with david oyelo damn it oyelo uh, where he is, I mean, it's not, it, you hear two other voices, but it's, it's like largely just him. Um, he, right at the beginning, we see that he has, he lives with his mother and he has killed her and uh, she's just know. rotting in the bedroom while he is in complete denial and is more concerned with trying to reconnect with an old army buddy that he has very clear and heavy homosexual feelings for. Uh, and most of the film is like him trying to call him, not being able to get through to him because the guy's wife won't let him talk to him, <laughs> uh, realizing that eventually he's going to have to do something about the body in this house. And it got a lot of notice uh, for Oyelowo's performance, which is indeed quite good. But... You you got to be a kind of person who's willing to sit through a one man play. Yeah, like and one that's written better than this. I I know that a lot of people really like this, but I thought it was really okay. It starts off strong, but then you're like, nothing is happening in this fucking thing, and I'm just don't think this character, despite the strength of the performance, is interesting enough that I care what's going to proceed. Well, I, I mean that's that's the biggest danger of the format, though. Mm. Is you know there's only so much exposition you can take before you need something palpable. Yeah, very true. Um, and I think maybe it's part of it is that I'm just jaded. I watch a lot of horror films, and I'm like, okay, I wasn't really shocked. <laughs> and I think this depends on your audience being a little more like. Per, not prepared for the violent beginning of it, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, not even violent. You don't even see any violence, but you know, the in your head violent uh, to be disturbed by Zombie that. Violent. And I'm just like, okay, tell me he's going to go kill a bunch of other people, please, at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I, I, full credit for the performance once again, uh, but yeah, I mean, are we both agreed this was like? overrated as hell yeah, yeah I, I definitely could have done without seeing it like yeah. there's there's i'd rather see him in something that uses him yeah that's that's about it yeah i, I mean it, it, it's certainly a brave performance but it's just not a terribly great script no yeah uh next up is saint laurent Ooh. Uh, now i know you really liked this film Très that sexy. came out last year uh about eve saint laurent the fashion designer um, uh, starring gay Andy Samberg, uh, Gaspard uh, Ullier, uh as Eve St. Laurent. Does he look like gay Adam Samberg, Andy Samberg? Mm, he looks like a bunch of gay stuff. Yeah. But <laughs> this is um, this did nothing for me. Okay. And I realize that I'm in the minority. It received ten Cesar Award nominations, which is pretty big. I'm uh, five Lumiere nominations and one Best Actor, uh, which I can see. He's quite good in it. 
So yeah, uh, it follows Yves Saint Laurent, who, if if you know fashion, you know exactly who he is, and if you don't know fashion, you've at least seen a rich woman uh, with one of his handbags. Well, if you've been in a mall, you've probably seen yeah, Saint yeah, but. You know, uh, he, you know, uh, brand, fashion brands have been around for forever, and uh, he really was that late 60s genius who everybody knew was amazing, but didn't really have it on uh, in the world of like, okay, genius, so where's your, your genius clothes? Uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of follows him and his once again typical French ennui of like, oh no I am I am here in this life and why am I in this life and then he talked like Balky for some reason um, I want to sleep with my boyfriend but I also want to sleep with those models oh well, no what can I do yeah you know he's he's got he's one of those people with those problems that you really relate to uh, but eventually. Um, well, one of the things that I loved though was he didn't really dwell on it. Like it was no. around, but it was like, no shit, well, I got to worry about it now. So, and I think partially because there really is not a plot to this film. There's not. It's it's it, definitely a biopic, and it, I would. It's not. It's barely even a biopic. <laughs> they just kind of follow this dude around his life. Well, what's what's interesting is they give some some attention to his breakout clothing line, which mm. really was the proof in the pudding of no, this guy is fucking legit. Right. Uh, but then they kind of downplay it, and then there's some time swapping that that at times is really annoying. Well, I think that like like, like it was this weird. It was almost jarring when it would go from this very abstract series of set pieces of they're going to this party now they're going to this guy's house that's kind of like a party and now yeah. they're going to another party and now he's lounging around naked taking pictures of himself this really like plotless amble through his beautiful life to brief sequences where his his lawyer is involved and they actually right. say well this is like this is a scene where i argue for what we want so the audience understands why in business he was so successful yes but that's a very small portion of the yes. film yes uh, i would i would say um it's a large part like uh, eve's fashion sense where it is completely indulgent and it's completely aesthetic uh, and while you know it's a solid product, it's not exactly uh, the most sturdy product. Yeah, uh, you know uh, I love it, but I'm also a huge uh, fashion fan. See, I, I'm like on the other side of that, where I'm just like I don't even. When I think of fashion, I feel like we're like cavemen trying to put peacock feathers in our hair. Well, of course we are. That's exactly what it's about. <laughs> and I just like, Psh, whatever. Okay. All right. maybe <laughs> but, but I realize that that's my failing, that I just don't get it. Well, maybe that's the better wrap-up. This movie's subtitle should have been called Everybody Wants to Get Fucked. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. There's a lot of uh, fucking and, and wistful looking at people wanting to get fucked in yeah. this film. And, and if you if you got a problem with French dong, like just, just, just move along. A just, lot just of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the the one thing I will say is the set design and the costume design and some of the cinematography is really quite gorgeous. And the music. And the music's really good as well. Uh, but there is just barely the semblance of a story here. And it's a long movie. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah it's 150 it minutes, is. which is way longer than this type of movie should ever be unless Gaspar <laughs> No is directing it. <laughs> uh yeah, I I mean, obviously you really enjoyed this. I got so bored. I, I think I fell asleep in the last 20 minutes. I That's fine. I caught it. Actually, it the last 20 minutes, like, me. Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's for two different uh, types of people, really. Um, if you really enjoy fashion, I, I think you're going to find it interesting. Or if you're pretty like people. me and could care less, eh. 
Uh, I think we both could care less about results. I want to, and that's the problem. Yeah, well, partially because for me, I really like the actor Kevin Corrigan a lot. And I really hate Kobe Smulders. I, I don't hate her, but this made me dislike her more. It was like, hey, Canada, get back to the Great White North. Well, she just doesn't seem to have anything to offer in this film. I mean, at least Guy Pierce is trying. Oh, when I was watching it last night, uh, uh, my roommate came in the room. He was like, what's this? I was like, it's me remembering that Guy Pierce was in Priscilla. <laughs> right. And I loved it so much. <laughs> uh, the story here, set and filmed in Austin, Texas. Which you wouldn't know until at one point you just see this logo of the dude's business and it says established blah 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 in Austin, Texas. And at one like, point what? somebody says, let's go back to Austin. And other than that, no landmarks of any kind. Oh, yeah. Marfa was really well done. <laughs> uh, the idea is Danny, uh, played by Kevin Corgan, is a very disaffected, very depressed, recently divorced, and recent Nuevo Rich a guy who doesn't know what to do. His, his wife has left him. He's like just really upset, and he decides to basically, after just seeing it on TV, to go into this local gym that has a sort of like, oh, spiritual and physical connection thing led by Guy Pierce, who is really into it. And yes, uh, even he, the, he, he drank the Kool Aid. Even though Corgan is pretty much like, I want to, I just want to learn how to take a punch, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, you never really know what's going on inside this guy's head. Uh, he doesn't seem like the brightest bulb in the house. Well, I, I think the thing is that you, you, you're thinking, okay, these are his motivations. And then he kind of quits halfway through. So they were his motivations. He's just such a schlemiel yeah. that it, he just loses grasp very easily. Very true. Well, he gets uh, assigned uh, Kobe Smulders uh, to come to his house and train with him, and he develops a crush on her, and he's not being creepy in the way that, you know, like he's saying sex stuff to her or trying to grope her or anything, but like, it's pretty creepy when she comes over for a training session, and, well, it would be creepy, uh, comes over for a training session, he's hired a, a band and a waiter and a chef to prepare dinner for them, much less creepy because they pretty much just had sex the previous night right. when when basically she decided, okay, I'm going to get drunk and high with this guy. Uh, so you're like, okay, she freaks out in a way that is hard to sympathize with. Very much so. Because she's kind of, in a way, using him. Right. It, I mean, if her reaction was, this is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, okay, yeah, you're right, it yeah, is but ridiculous. she aggressively assaults his personality and his person over this romantic gesture that he thought was appropriate given they had just literally hooked up. And not only that, but they had been training for a long time. So at this point, she should realize that he is a broken human being that doesn't understand social norms. Right. And that's the problem with this film is that his entry into the story largely ends at the halfway point, And the rest of it is about this weird half-assed thing that Guy Pierce and Kobe Smulders' characters should probably get together, yeah. which is the last thing you give a shit about in this movie. Yeah, because well, them together is so not interesting. Like, N- Not an ounce of chemistry. At one point, Pierce uh, hooks up with a real estate agent, and I found that more interesting, and it still wasn't interesting. No, it still was not <laughs> interesting. Giovanni Rabisi is hanging around the background as like a lawyer trying to do business with a with, uh, 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 with a Corrigan who keeps looking like he's about to do something funny and is never given the opportunity to other than show off his hideously receding hairline. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I couldn't, I was really surprised. This is one of those one films that was actually pretty popular and it's very mumblecore ish in a lot of ways. It did have Paul Chi. Paul Chi. Yeah. He's uh, the co-owner of Uchiko. 
Oh, okay. he was the chef. Well, maybe they financed it. I don't know. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just I, I thought that after Corrigan leaves the picture, you're you're kind of like going, okay, this is interesting, but where are you going? After he largely leaves it, I was like, yeah, I just don't care about these characters. I nope. want to see what's going on with him. In fact, there's a whole thing where he basically bans both of them from his life, and I'm never entirely clear what his reasoning was. Like, I mean, it, there's what he says, but then he says something else different afterwards, and you're like, none of that makes any sense. Yeah, I've, I've got my own theories, but ultimately I think it's just trying to justify what happened. What I will say is at the beginning of the, the for lack of better words, final scene, or because it's not even act, it's, it's like the beginning of the last five minutes, there's a callback that I found fantastic. Yeah. That's that's a that's about the only thing that I can say. Like, yeah, I liked that. I, I did actually like Anthony Michael Hall as a Russian fitness. Yes, that was neat too. His brief appearances, <laughs> who is actually pretty fucking funny in his scene. Yes, and uh, yeah. stepping out of the dead zone. But but ultimately, this is yeah, this is kind of a mess. Uh, even with Zach Carlson from the Alamo Draft House having a brief cameo. Funny enough, sitting in a theater while someone is on the cell phone and not getting up and bashing them over the head. Yeah, I was waiting for that to happen, and it never did. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, results will reveal itself to have mixed results in audience watching. Next up is oh! Entourage, the movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. uh, okay. We did a, a, a theatrical review for this, and I think we all came down on the side of fuck this movie. Uh, it follows the very successful TV se- series that petered out. Admittedly, mm-hmm. when it started being every season was alternating plots. Vince gets the movie. Vince doesn't get the movie. Vince gets the movie. Vince doesn't get the movie. Vince, and this, oh. and this, it's Vince gets the movie. Only here, it's more exciting because he's director and he's putting his thing down. And okay, I suppose that's supposed to be more exciting. You've got Jeremy Piven moved up to now being a studio head instead of just an agent, and had agreed to to let Vinny direct the film, even while knowing who should have known better. Because Vinny is a huge flake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm guessing. Like this, this was my my uh, introduction into the entourage world. Oh, this is the only thing you'd seen. Yep. Okay. Uh, Johnny Drama, uh, Vinny's half brother, is getting to act in the film, but they want to cut all his sequences. Eric, uh, Eric, who I always thought was the only really interesting character from the show, yeah. uh, is given not a lot to do. Well, because, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, and. Uh, uh, Turtle is just trying to hook up with Ronda Rousey, which was the only potentially entertaining plotline in this whole thing. And if you saw the trailer, you saw the only funny sequences from that. Yeah, and, and what drags around Turtle they had were uh, stretched to the breaking point and past that. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's not much to recommend this. I was hoping that, like, okay, they've had several years. They probably, like, the guy had a lot of stuff like, oh, man, we should have done this. Oh, this would have been good. And save it up. And no, instead, what you get is the most half-assed television uh, film adaptations since the Sex and the City movies, you know? Well, I'm not saying that it's the same source, but... 
<laughs> yeah, well, they're both HBO, true yeah. enough. And lots of cameos from people who have no business being in this thing, who are there just to go, hey, look, it's me. Hey, I'm in a movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they don't even give them anything funny to do. You know, you're like, okay. Uh, worst of all, it's Haley Joel Osmond, who I genuinely like, who they've made the son of Billy Bob Thornton, who are yeah. rich Texas guys. And he's this completely irrational jackass that we would see more Billy Bob Thornton playing. So maybe that was their inspiration. Oh, this is the type of role that Billy Bob Thornton normally would play. But now we'll make it where it's his son being more this way. <laughs> and it's just so not – it's so miscast with him in it. And it's a terribly written role that comes to, like, the biggest sort of, like, wah, 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 like, ending at the, you know, and that's the backbone of the plot is that, oh, yeah, he is trying to keep the movie from being made. Yeah, I I would say the intended audience for this, that's the only people who should watch it. And it's not necessarily fans of the the show. I'm talking about Axe Body Spray personified. No, that's that's very true. Um, There's certainly lots of girls dancing around in bikinis while being sprayed down with hoses. Which, to be fair, there wasn't Furious 7 too, but we also had cars crashing off. Yeah, because they were racing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Entourage the movie is um, not even worthy of owning if you have the rest of the Entourage television series. Nope. Not in my humble opinion. Next up is one of the biggest films of the year, Avengers Age of Ultron. I wouldn't know. Yeah, sorry about that. They didn't send me the Blu-ray. They only sent me a digital copy, which I couldn't pass on. Uh, but this this one... Okay, so what we say? Fast and Furious, $190 million. This cost $279.9 million. It's made $1.403 billion. Uh, a little startled that Marvel considers that a failure. Yeah, yeah well, they're, they're kind of getting a little greedy. I, I think they were like, oh, it wasn't... Um, it didn't gross as much as the first one, so... Therefore, it, it's, it was a failure. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. Uh, of course, we've got the Avengers uh, going up uh, against Ultron now. Tony Stark's... Hey, spoilers, uh, dude. It's called Age of Ultron. I said spo- I haven't seen it. Well, you're going to have to be patient with the premise. <laughs> with James Spader as the voice of the, the AI that becomes self-aware and uh, decides that the only way to bring peace on Earth is killing everyone on Earth. Although, he's so charismatic that you kind of want to agree with him. He's Red Reddington, man. <laughs> you can't fight that. Uh, adding to the, the, the regular crew, of course, this time, we've got, well, we've got Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner slash The Hulk, Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, Captain America, Skull Johansson as Natasha Romanoff slash Black Widow, Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton slash Hawkeye. Uh, also have appearances by Don Cheadle as War Machine. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson joins as... Pietro Maximoff, or uh, the mutant, not mutant anymore, I'm sorry, you can't say mutant in the Marvel films. Oh, that's uh, right. No, the, the superhuman Quicksilver, that. who can run like the Flash, his sister, the Scarlet Witch, uh, Wanda Maximoff, played by Elizabeth Olsen, who has the power of weird. Of everything, yeah. It. And ultimately, uh, the Vision, which is one of my favorite Avengers of all time, and I think the strongest point of this whole film, how they actually handle him. I wouldn't know. Uh, with Paul Bettany. 
playing him, which surprised no one. Uh, Kobe Smolders, of course, returns as Murray Hill. Anthony Mackie has a brief appearance as the Falcon. Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter. Idris Elba as Heimdall. I mean, seriously, there's a lot of people from the previous films who show up just to wink at the screen and <laughs> reference obliquely something that either happened before or is going to happen in a future film. And I think one of the big criticisms with this film was that it spent so much time setting up what's happening in the next Avengers films <laughs> that it forgot to pay attention to what it was doing here and i think that's that's a bit harsh i mean it certainly spends more time than your average film would do setting up the next thing to be sure but that being said mar these are the marvel films in a giant running universe that is set up just like their comic books and i think that in of itself is a pretty big achievement (laughs) you know they did what everybody said you could never do and maybe that's more of an indictment to marvel's uh uh overall uh uh, ethos as far writing ethos. Yeah, I mean maybe, but it's worked pretty well so far in the movies. Um, I think a lot of people thought that uh, Ultron wasn't scary enough, and I was like, okay. I, whereas I agree to some extent, he's he is it's just not he his threat level just isn't as high as a lot of the other threat levels have been. Certainly not as much as the Jatari felt like. Well, and, but, and they've got to, they've got to moderate it. Like they, they, you can't keep top, top, topping. Otherwise everybody's like, fuck, I don't care. Well, Go ahead, Galactus. They're leading up to Thanos. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, obviously Ultron is not as dangerous as Thanos, but he is traditionally in the universe, one of the more dangerous villains. And I, I, I know some people had trouble with the way they sort of personalized him, but I like the way Spader is playing Spader pretty much. You know? Well, I mean, it's just it's just like Blade when 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 they tested Blade and and uh, Stephen Dorff turned into the Blood Tornado. Everybody said this is stupid, and I hate it. And they were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, and then they put him back into Stephen Dorff, so you could see his his abs. Oh, when he reformed from yeah. the Blood Tornado, yeah. and, and Wesley Snipes went, "What the fuck?" One of the great unsaid lines in films. Ever, uh, it's a, my biggest disappointment with this home release, which otherwise is a lot, is a really fun movie. Maybe not as good as the first one, uh, or or Captain America uh, uh, two, but one, still one of the really good Marvel films. The biggest problem is that there's just not a lot of bonus features. It's like barely forty minutes with uh, no deleted or extended scenes that you would have to see at all. A really overly smushed together and poorly edited gag reel of stuff. Um, EPK type stuff things about the making of that doesn't really tell you anything that you didn't know instinctively about how they made this you know lots of pictures of people wearing ping pong ball suits you know uh, and then an audio commentary with Joss Whedon which I've not gotten to listen to yet but I intend on at some point um, I wouldn't know hey so um, <laughs> damn it Joe one, one, uh, one thing that just came through my mind is do you, can you imagine how fucking expensive that that marvel universe box it is going to be once it's completed if it's ever completed what the complete marvel universe yeah. set like with it brings in phase one two and three yep. in one set it's yep. going to cost a lot yeah uh hopefully Save up now guys superman crystal you can go <laughs> uh yeah and i will say this once again it may have cost like 100 million dollars more than uh furious seven furious seven is more fun to watch than this movie and it made a little bit more yeah it did it it made 1.5 Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, 
It's because it's kind of family. Tells, I think part of it is just that so much of it is practical and furious, and you can tell. And so much of this is CG, and you can tell. And none tell. of them love each other. No, they love each other. No. They just get upset with each other. I don't know. Next up is Avatar The Last Airbender, the finally released complete series. And Didn't know that one of my favorite shows is being put out as a complete series. And don't get too excited, because A, it's not on Blu-ray, which is the main thing really? everybody was calling for. Yeah. It's like, when are you going to release these on Blu-ray? It's just a DVD set, and two, it's just the previous sets put and tied a slipcover. Oh, come on, guys. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> come on. They put no extra effort in putting this wonderful, like, really, really, really innovative and, and boy, uh, thing that's influenced a ton of other things, television series, they, they just kind of have shot it out. Part, ooh, part of what I loved about Avatar is that uh, it certainly had its influences, but it was its own thing, and pit, it polarized anime fans to whether you were oh, yeah. down with it or you hated it because it wasn't anime. Well, that's but that's almost kind of racist, isn't it? No, it is. But that's part of what I love. It's like, yes, feed your ignorant like, hate. What? It's not anime. It's made in America by white people. How am I supposed what? to jerk off to this? Like, yeah, that's uh, a it doesn't take place in Japan. <laughs> it takes place in the airbender world. Yeah, in, in, in that place. Uh, which is a world, in fact, that has humans and hybrid animals and people who uh, have elemental powers and then of course the one character the the basically the Dalai Lama of this world who gets rebirthed into soul put into new bodies who is the one who can master all the elements uh, including air which is I, I guess for for a period was uniquely an airbender well because uh, he was the last one yeah he literally. was the last one uh, but then he got the fucking. Uh, as he sort of is like trying to keep the Fire Nation from you know acting like Russia during the Cold War and taking over every neighboring country and this is a great story. It's just really well made. It's one of those ones you're going to want to go back and rewatch. And as much as I talk shit about them, just they're just re-releasing, which is what they're doing. These were really good sets in the first place, packed with bonus features. Uh, there was there was no real reason to criticize the original releases. They're they're really well done, and the whole thing is selling for like thirty bucks, which hmm. is which is not bad considering it's like some like five or six DVDs in each set. Mm-hmm. That that's a pretty good deal, uh, and like I said, packed with all kinds of bonus features, uh, behind the scenes kung fu featurettes, making of Avatar from real life to animation, uh, special on the voices of Avatar, all sorts of things in here that really made it where it's like okay, in the first place they did in fact treat the fans pretty well with uh, with the release of it, but yeah, still no. I mean, they've released Korra on Blu-ray, but not this. I don't understand. What are no? That's my way of saying I want to watch it, but I could only see, like... Actually, it's really hard to find streaming of Korra on, online that's legitimate. Oh, really? Yep. Uh, well, they sent them to me. You can borrow them sometime. Uh, next up is The Last Man on Earth, Season 1. This is a post-apocalyptic comedy starring Will Forte as the titular, but not accurately named... Uh, Last Man. <laughs> yeah, because it like very quickly is revealed, no, in fact, there are actually other men on Earth. <laughs> and woman. <laughs> Uh, this was brought to us by uh, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who co-wrote this with Will Forte. It was one of the reasons I was super excited to watch this show, because they brought us Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. And the Jump Street movies uh, have proven them, and the Lego movie have proven themselves to be really good at taking material that should be shitty and making it 
really, really good. The idea is it's 2020. Will Forte, is, when it starts, he thinks, okay, there was a virus. Everyone is dead from a year earlier. He just assumes he's the last guy on Earth. And he's really just a schlub, really. <laughs> I mean, he like, describes himself as he likes Star Wars, Twinkies, and sex. So he's driving around the New York in uh, North America in his RV, looking to see if there are any other survivors. Uh, finally, just goes to his hometown in Tuscan, Arizona, having given up uh, and then he actually meets a woman, uh, played by Kristen Shaw, who is a really, really irritating person. Oh, but okay. you know what? One man, one woman. You got to do what you got to do. That's right. Uh, and so, of course, they, after her being incredibly difficult about it, and I don't mean like he was trying to rape her. I mean, she's like, no, we have to have mar- get married before we have sex. Like, how the fuck do you get married? <laughs> so he has to set up this elaborate, like, faux wedding thing just to make her happy. Uh and so it's like, okay, so I guess we're going to do this and try and repopulate the earth or whatever. When uh, more survivors show up, uh, January Jones, first off, yeah. who of course, is like fucking gorgeous. Does she and try Forte immediately is like, um, you know, Kristen Shaw, I'm not really sure this is working out. <laughs> and it seems like that's a funny setup. The problem is with this series for me is that. Forte is so fucking unlikable. I mean, he hmm. is a shithead. Unbelievably such a shithead. Just like, like the stuff he does are like, wow, even if there are only a few people left, I would still consider executing this guy. <laughs> we'll <laughs> take our chances with that genetic lottery. I mean, he is just a gigantic prick and it is really hard to, it's really hard to care what happens to him after a certain point. It's funny at first and it's still funny here and there, but I found myself losing interest before the end of this end of this uh, thirteen episode run. Maybe it's going to get better in the second season. I know a lot of people like this a lot more than I did, but man, I just I don't mind a negative character, but I want to understand like to have some sympathy. Like if you give me a villain, I need some shades of gray for them. The only shade mm-hmm. of gray for this guy is that he's pathetic. You're like, wow. You're like, okay, I supposed to feel sorry for him because he's so pathetic. That's not enough. <laughs> I need something else. <laughs> I'm pretty pathetic. I don't expect people to feel sorry for I me. I wouldn't have felt sorry for him before the virus, and I don't feel sorry for him after the virus. So there w- actually was some sort of disaster thing. Yeah, like okay. most of the people on the Earth are dead. All right. Uh, although you never see any bodies anywhere for some reason. Because it was probably... <laughs> Maybe that was part of the virus. Why didn't they just film it on the Walking Dead sets? It's Maybe true. Save Re- money. Reduce, recycle, reuse. Uh, but yeah, I just... I was very meh on the first season. Like I said, oh, I liked it just enough to follow into the second, but we'll see. Next up is Haven Season 5, Volume 1. Or it should have just been called Season 5, because every season is like 13 episodes. This is 13 episodes. Volume 2, when it starts, is going to be 13 episodes. What the fuck? <laughs> This is a sci-fi channel series uh, that I thought started a little weak, but actually found its footing in season two. I've always liked it because it's never been very good, but it's also never been very bad. Well, it's one of those that falls under the... Okay, see, I love like uh, Scooby Gang shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, love, yeah. You know, I mean, ever okay. since The X-Files, well, ever since Scooby-Doo, but ever since Buffy, The X-Files, whatever... I'll watch it if it's a Scooby gang show Mm -hmm. and it's got to be pretty bad for me to turn off completely. The closest I've come is uh, to something that bad for that type of show. And I'm like, I can't watch it anymore is uh, grim and I'm still watching grim. (laughs) 
Uh, it had so much potential when it came out, but we're not talking about Gremlins. No, uh, I do think it's funny that the star of the show is named uh, Audrey Aud- Audrey Parker is played by an actress named Emily Rose, and this is based on a book, a short story by Stephen King, who of course had a story about a character named Emily Rose. Yes, and I always thought that was kind of amusing. But uh, without having to give away too much, basically we're reaching the end game in this small town where people have what they call the troubles. Yes. Uh, uh, paranormal disturbances that tend to kill or maim other people around them that are all tied back to somehow to Audrey Parker, who apparently keeps reincarnating in the same body, but with a totally different personality. She's got to stop doing that. It's really irritating. It's causing troubles. Except that the thing is, we find that for the last several generations, she's been the only one helping people with the troubles. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, she came to this town there helping. But the problem is, they they done blew up the, the core system, essentially, <laughs> and now she's reverted back to the core first personality, which, in fact, is the person responsible for the troubles in the first place. And there's a lot of this tied up with just like her being tied up. And long sequences of like, okay, stop with yeah. them. Like, I know you're in there, Audrey. And it like, was, oh, it, it was very much. Oy, oy, oy. It goes on for like six or seven episodes. <laughs> you're like, Oh, for fuck's sakes. Uh, as I, I think this is actually my least favorite season of this show so far. Yeah. I'd the, agree with that. The one saving uh, grace at all, as it has been for the last couple seasons, the best guy in this is Eric Balfour. Mar- remarkably so weird. Who, Cause he's yeah. so bad in most other things and he's really good on this show. He's, he's found his niche for his sharp face. Yeah. He does have an odd face. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's like, you know, I mean, you've got the, the, Former sheriff Nathan, who uh, played by Lucas Bryant, who's totally a block of wood. Oh, uh, but that's part of what I love but, about but, him. And he's kind of he's supposed to be. Yeah, they're kind of trying to give him a, a, a like age a Fox Mulder personality, I guess. Um, trying, <laughs> yeah, but he's not half the actor that Dave, uh, David Duchovny is. But uh, he's the nice guy, and Eric Belfour is the the bad boy. Both of which have feelings for Audrey Parker, so they try and create this love triangle that gets needlessly complicated as this goes along. As does this entire season. I, I'd say if you really like it, you can still skip it. Just. just, just. If there's another season, just watch that recap at the first episode of right. the next season. Because so much this is just dull and it takes way too long to get to where it's going. And the only thing that excited me at all was a little preview on the disc before the actual first episode starts. It's like coming in in, in uh, the next season and it's starring William Shatner. And I was like, oh, fuck, now I'm going to have to watch it because <laughs> I'll watch William Shatner in anything. Uh, yeah, were you with me? This was the weakest season so far. Oh yeah, by far. Yeah, it just felt like they are stretching it out, and they're they just don't really care that much either. There's lots of like we just established this. Now we're going to do this. That well, just yeah, breaks the mythology of what we just. Yeah, said. It, it's sci-fi going. Uh, Let's wrap. I don't this know. Up, I guess people. we'll keep you. I guess wrap this up. Uh, next up is Supernatural season ten. My God, the show has gone on for ten seasons and about to. Apparently, they just signed through twelve. Yes, so, 
<laughs> and I, I will I will give uh, Sarah's review of this. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jared. Well, I think even she admits that the show is definitely like not as good as it once was. But she was. definitely admits that Jared Padalecki is sexy. Well, yeah, she'll admit that Jensen Ackles is, too. But not, not, but not as sexy as, as Jared, Jared Padalecki. I know, she's a jar pad uh, girl. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I go the other way myself. Um, I'm more of a, uh, more of a Dean guy. <laughs> I think it's funny. Dudes who like this show are like, yeah, Dean Ackles, he's like my best. Or Dean Winchester, he's like my best friend. He and I, we'd get in that beautiful black car. And we'd go cruising around. We'd hunt monsters. We'd Let's get Sam awesome has feelings. Together. And then uh, girls are like, no, Jared Padalecki, Sam, he's just misunderstood. He just needs someone to hug him and care about him. And we get two very different things from this show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I still think that this season 10 is still a lot of fun. There's like... They they have fixed a lot of the problems that were created by season six and seven. And at this point, they're kind of cautiously narrating the terrain of let's not try and change too much from what works. Which is a smart move if you want to keep it going. But how much longer does anybody want to keep doing this? Well, and the theme of this one is basically Dean has gotten marked with the mark of Cain, which is like the, the initial mark that, that, that Cain from Abel and Cain yep, got. He's going to be a vampire. Where, where he's a killer, but uh, he anybody who hurts him is going to suffer the wrath of God. Uh, so he walks around with this thing. Nobody can touch Dean, but he has a serious anger problem <laughs> and super strength problem at times when he gets really angry. And Sam and their angel friend, Castiel, who's probably my favorite character on the show now, played by Misha Collins, are trying to help him, but he doesn't want to be helped. In other words, the exact same plot switch brother that yes. is in every single season <laughs> that's happened just with fantastic chemistry between these guys. I mean, and that's the big thing. Well, and after 10 seasons, yeah. The chemistry, like, I hope so. The chemistry is so good. The, the, Humor writing is so tight. Even the special effects are are pretty good for television. Yeah, they're all right. Um, it's just and with just enough mythology and craziness going on to keep you going. It also, I mean, it even had one of the best single episodes of the show this season. I thought, which is where they do a musical episode. Uh, did you did you watch this whole season? No, I didn't get to the. I didn't know where well, there's a musical. Oh, God damn it! Yeah, there's a full on musical episode where they go to a high school. Uh, there's a there's a thing at a high school, mm-hmm. and these girls are performing a you know a musical based on the series of books Supernatural, which of course are based on them. Long story, don't ask. It'll take forever. Hey, I've worked on Supernatural books, but they're all disturbed with that they've made uh, slash Vic into it, where uh, Sam and Dean start making out. <laughs> no, no, that's to be expected. Yeah, and they're both played by girls, for the record. Uh, yeah, there's nothing. There's not really a oh god, this is a horrible episode on this season. It's just I don't think it really elevates itself to a point where you're like going, okay, maybe this should get another two seasons. Hey, how many episodes are they going to name Paint It Black? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. It's still fun. Uh, it just. I feel like I, I want to say, oh, it needs something fresh. But the last time they tried that was season six. It really didn't work. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like you really can stop watching Supernatural after season five. That's a good stopping point. Yeah, and you'll be all right. But you'll also be missing a lot of really good episodes that come later, too, especially with the, the meta stuff. Yeah. Uh, next up is The Jinx. This is the HBO Emmy Award-winning documentary miniseries about Robert Durst, a uh, 
one of the members of the family of the rich, one of the richest families in New York City that pretty much owns New York City. Yes. The buildings in New York, who is definitely the black sheep of the family, who, uh, according to this documentary, is a multiple murderer. Hey, you know, everybody's got thing, roles that they play in a family unit. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got his own thing. It's okay. Don't get yeah, curious. Yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely a star piece. And, oh, and he is now? a star piece because he is, he is a bright, shining beacon of that's fucking creepy. Yeah, he is <laughs> such an extreme personality. And he, after having been accused of all these various crimes and after being, like, put on trial and then found not guilty of a crime, HBO, he contacted H- this filmmaker who had made a movie about like a sort of fictionalized version of like his relationship with his first wife under the context that he had, in fact had murdered her. Right. He saw the movie and he's like, Hey, I don't think anybody gets me like you. I'm finally willing to talk to the press. I'll talk to you. So he agreed to let them film him everywhere and do this documentary. I was like, boy, this guy is crazy to agree to do this <laughs> uh, because the filmmakers like, in no way don't believe from the very beginning that this guy did this stuff. Yeah. But they're great at covering it up. <laughs> yeah, mm, oh, no, that. really? Go, well, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, it's... it's. Uh, I wouldn't say it's revolutionary in format or anything no. like that. It, it, it strictly is you get to see a very close representation of evil. I mean, it's definitely sick. It's more sick than evil. It's that, it's but, that whole banality of evil thing, though, because really he is a very... He's not all that bright. No, he's like a child. Yeah, he's like... Not that interesting. He's just a right. Seems like a normal enough guy. He's just got all these weird ticks and things that are right. Well, it's it's like that kid who would torture like toads or something in 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 grade school who just grew up. I mean, the most interesting thing about him is the sheer arrogance that he allowed this to be made, or or that he got popped for for stealing uh, groceries. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like it takes some weird turns. Uh, this guy's story and. The last shot of this whole thing has actually led to him being put back on trial again for another murder, which is interesting. He does a massive fuck up. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I think that the biggest problem with this is just it's six episodes. It should have been three. Yeah, 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 definitely. Three would have some would have been the perfect length for this. Uh, six is a little bit too long, but still, it is only six episodes, uh, you know, so you know, at 45 minutes a piece. So ultimately, uh, you know, especially for fans of stuff like the podcast serial, I think this is going to be something. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not going to lose a lot of time, even if you don't feel super great about it. Well, next up, we're getting to a series of, uh, the more silly fun shows, uh, all three of which I really, really enjoy. But, uh, first up is going to be the flash. Oh, one, the flash, which I know you still have not gotten a chance. To I would, I wouldn't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's obviously, the name of this episode is. Yeah, Joe I wouldn't, wouldn't know. know. Joe I don't wouldn't know. know. What do you know, Joe? Nothing. Jack shit, according to you. Uh, this is the uh, spinoff from Arrow that ended up being much better than Arrow, <laughs> uh, which is always embarrassing when that happens. I must say, based on commercials alone, I would agree. <laughs> Somewhere, Ke- Kevin's. I just pictured Kevin Sorbo yelling at his agent, How did this happen? Zeta! <laughs> But, uh, you know, I mean, Arrow is fun, but this is the same crew, only they have decided rather than make something very dour and more serious, they're going for much lighter, much more sort of Silver Age comic book feel well, to it. Okay, it's kind of unfair because it's got Tom Cavanaugh in it. 
And when you have TV's Ed as as a part of your your crew, like it's gonna be better than Arrow. That's just how it goes. TV's Ed? Yeah, he was in a series called Ed with uh, him and Michael Ian Black and and uh, Julie What's Her Face from Modern Family. And okay, I don't yeah. think I ever saw that one. It was it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's actually pretty damn good in the show. Is he Doctor Wheelchair? Uh, he's Doctor Wheelchair, which is not actually his name. His name's Doctor Wells. Whatever, handicapist. <laughs> Or whatever. Andy I think he's handy capable. <laughs> uh, the idea being, of course, the Flash is the fastest man alive after a accident in a lab with a giant super collider at, at the same time while he's working with some various chemicals. Explodes, gives him the power of super speed, except he's like a, unlike everyone else in the city who had an effect from this explosion, which appears to be near everyone in the city. Uh, <laughs> it's a small city. He's the only one who's like, no, I must exclusively use my powers for good because I'm the sweetest guy in the world. Yeah. He's the Flash. He's Barry Allen. He's a superhero. Well, so is the Speed Force a thing in this? Yeah, but they're just kind of alluding to it now. Mm, gotcha. And that's the thing about this is like unlike Arrow or almost any other superhero show ever made, this is jumping forward in the mythology. Oh, like, good. Fast. Like they introduced the main villain is in the first season as the reverse Flash. Right. And he has the feeling of this is going to be one of those villains we're going to not even going to like wrap up his story for another five or six seasons. He'll mm-hmm. be like a, he'll be the giant arc villain. But no. <laughs> They wrap that shit up, reveal his identity, change a bunch of shit, give some of the characters powers, uh, give Barry his love interest. Do they pretty much do everything that like in the first season, and yet and then open it up completely for about a billion more things that could happen. I mean, well, this is good. like pretty much right on it. And by the way, Barry dies in Crisis of Infinite Earth. Well, there you go. <laughs> you know, which is like, well, that's an interesting <laughs> take to tack to have for the for the uh, television series. But the thing is, it's just so fun. Every it's all treated very lightly, but they have a good time with it. And there's just so many people who appear in this damn thing. Uh, and there's there's a cleverness to it. Like in the casting alone, they cast the guy who played the Flash in the '80s TV series yeah. as Barry Allen's dad. Nice, nice. Which is cool. They cast Mark Hamill who played the trick in the 80s TV series as the trickster here. Except he's like an older trickster who has been sitting in jail. He's a and now there's a, a new trickster and they're sort of Hannibal lecturing him to get information from, from jail. Uh, they've got uh, the two guys from um, Prison Break playing Heatwave and Captain Cold. Wow. Team up together. Wow. Which is, which is kind of cool. Well, I mean, you get the package discount. You do, indeed. <laughs> uh, and they're constantly... I mean, there's crossovers with Arrow that are actually really fun. They introduce Firestorm as a regular character on here, which has always been a really cool second-tier DC character. Uh, the Atom, is, who is primarily an Arrow character, but gets to come over on here as well. Uh, so does, does he ever like use his, his super-fast force to like tickle Green so that he like cracks a smile. You know that would have been a good episode. And I have a have. feeling that's going to come at some point. Okay, good. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, the real question, of course, people is: so what? Why? If I've seen the show already, why would I get this? Well, there's some fun extras on here, including like uh, the chemistry of of uh, of Emily and Grant, who the actor Grant who plays uh, uh, the Flash or Barry, uh, Barry Allen. And uh, Emily, who I believe is, oh, she's not the, uh, god damn it, 
she's not Iris West. She's a a woman on the team, basically, who's okay. one of his team members. Uh, there's a look at the special effects. There's sort of a generalized look at the history of the Flash and what things they, which I thought was the most interesting extra feature. They're talking about we weren't going to do straight Silver Age, but we wanted to take all our favorite parts from mm-hmm. the various different Flash stories along the years and the different Flashes. Uh, there's a whole look at Mark Hamill's return to it and like you know why they chose to have him back. There's a DC comic comics night at Comic Con 2014 where they went over Gotham, the Flash, Constantine, and Arrow. There's audio commentary, deleted scenes, a pretty fun gag reel, and 23 one-hour episodes. It's one how many hours of uh, entertainment? is that that's a lot quite a few wow yeah uh as well as arrow season three which is now out uh just in time for arrow season four to start up on television he always Uh, looks like he pooped his pants he well because the costume is made to hold his poop so he doesn't have to worry Uh, about it does he like fired at people because no but he's busy he doesn't have time to go use the public okay that's that's just laziness (laughs) uh i don't know Season three is kind of a step backwards for me for Arrow. They're, they have him, like, you know, they had the thing where, oh, he's good with everybody now. He's good with, like, uh, the police chief. And then, like, in an almost arbitrary sort of way, the police chief is like, no, I hate you now. <laughs> I love you. Like, I hate you. Are you a small child? I think one of the problems with the show is it wants to get so soap opery with the, the character motivations. Mm-hmm. You find yourself all the time going seriously <laughs> it's like what are you six years old because everybody is really immature and getting mad at each other about any given thing uh and the uh, oliver and felicity uh felicity uh, oliver queen is green arrow felicity is like basically one of the first people who started working on his super team who is like computer whiz type girl so do they have black canary or what's up with that yeah yeah she's i'll okay. get to that uh, Sorry, G. Adam, who's a rich billionaire, who's uh, played by Brandon Routh, who's t- slumming it in the superhero world after playing Superman. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, there's a love triangle there that's wrapped up in a way that'll make you scratch your head and go, "What? <laughs> do, do who now?" Uh, but you know, I mean, this is. This uh, this season seems to be pretty much treading water as it's going into Corto Maltese where uh, Reis Al Ghul lives. And is, this season is about him saying, no, the arrow is going to come and be basically my adopted son and take over for me because I'm about ready to stop being Reis Al Ghul. Wait, so did Reis Al Ghul train him too or something? Uh, he was involved in that, yes. Oh, okay. Uh, well, is he going to have to raise Damien? And basically Reis Al Ghul saying, look, I'm going to kill everyone you know unless you agree to come here and do this. Okay. And then believing, at least for part of it, that in fact uh, he is brainwashed and is into it. There's a, And this has one of the most unrealistic shit ever on this show where he like literally gets stabbed through the heart with a sword. Right. Falls like 300 feet onto an ice cliff and is left for dead. And then he's fine. So he didn't even like fall into the Lazarus pit. No, no. That's oh. the thing is like if they had, if they had said, no, 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 he's that we put in the Lazarus pit, which they have since established exists and does what it does in the comics. I would nice. have been like, no problem. But no, he's just fine. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just, it's a silly season that gets too serious. And, you know, Black Canary, you have the whole thing with like, she, like the original Black Canary ends up dying in the last season. And now her sister, who has trained for a week, 
and some change is now going around as Black Canary. Charcoal Black Canary. Uh, to the chagrin of like everyone who, you know, miraculously can somehow hold her own. All it takes <laughs> is gumption and a montage. Apparently. Um, and, and, uh, and everybody, like half the season is people bitching about not being told that the other girl, Black Canary, was dead or the fact they covered it up is lame or <laughs> whatever. Shut the fuck up. Get on with the action. Um, yeah, I just thought overall this was kind of a weak season, but it does have some strong points uh, throughout it. There's certainly good action uh, that appears in it. There's some nice new characters that are appearing, and it ends on a strong enough point that they've said that next season is going to lighten it up a bit. And I think that's largely because The Flash was so much better received <laughs> than Arrow. They were like, yeah, maybe I can watch it and little. have fun. Uh, this has second skins creating the uniforms of Arrow. Yawn, already running out of, uh, of, of extra extra uh, features material to do. Uh, Nanda Parbat constructing the villain's lair, which is indeed a pretty cool and huge set that they blow the shit out of multiple times. Uh, audio commentaries. There's Arrow at Comic-Con 2014. Uh, this is the, the whole look at the Atom, the gag reel, deleted scenes. I mean, overall, they once again put together a pretty good collection of extra features for this. But... I, I'm just hoping they step it up in the next season because I like a lot of these people, even though they're not the strongest actors in the world. I mean, to be sure. I mean, they're not on the Flash either, but they're so like, oh, they're just adorable on the Flash. Well, it always seems like like Arrow is definitely like, well, shit. I hope that dude got chiseled cheekbones and smoky eyes. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> uh, next up is I Zombie. Uh, excuse me. Zombie Season know. one, <laughs> which is based on a, uh, which the American tele- TV series direct- developed by Rob Thomas, who made Veronica Mars, which yeah. will become very evident as you start watching it that it was developed by the guy who made Veronica Mars because he was so smooth, just like the ocean under the moon. <laughs> it's <laughs> the fate of the emotion that is coming through. <laughs> you got him kind of crazy. <laughs> Not exactly, but you're 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 catching on there. It's um. It's that it, it's if Veronica Mars was a zombie. I thought she much. was a... No, she was Never a mind. No. A you, lich? You've obviously Is never met Kristen Bell in person. I haven't. That's why I said it. Because oh, if you had, you'd be like, she's so full of life. No, no. Anybody who marries Dax Shepard has nothing to do with Well, no, it. she's just dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> uh... This is based on the comic, the comic book series of the same name, created by Chris Robertson, who we actually have had on, uh, we've had on a podcast before. Is a really nice guy. Uh, used to live here in Austin, uh, and Michael Allred, terrific artist. And the idea being, at least of the show, I'm not going to get into the divisions between the comic book and the show because the show is taking a very different tact with this plot. So it's a joy but, division. Uh, uh, Rose Mc, uh, McIver, who's adorable and is totally like showing Rob Thomas knows how to cast like spunky young ladies with lots of wit and intelligence. <laughs> she plays uh, Olivia Moore. Get it? Live more. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> who is, t- who is at a boat party and she gets, there's a zombie attack and she gets scratched or bit or something. And when she wakes up, uh, she's dead and a zombie, except not a, She's been zombie. She's just really white with white hair, and um, she sports Donald Trump. And no, sorry, that's not it at all. That's a different kind of yeah. Because then she'd white. have she'd have white hair and orange skin. True. Um, she's uh, she can. I mean, she's stronger. She has 
anger issues every once in a while. If someone really pisses her off, she gets super strong briefly, um, although she can lose control, and that's not good. And if she doesn't eat brains at least once a month or so, she starts turning into that dumb zombie type thing. But as long as she does eat brains, she'll be fine. Fortunately, she works in a morgue. Hey! <laughs> so it turns into a... It's uh, a buffet, really. She yeah. works at a buffet. And she does. And um, it, it turns into a procedural when she discovers that she starts taking on the personality aspects and reliving the memories of whoever's brain oh, she's Jesus, eating. Oh, Jesus, no. So she starts <laughs> like helping the police solve these, these crimes. And then, of course, it turns out there are other zombies left over from that event who are causing their own problems. And I know this all sounds silly. It is. But it's a pretty fun show. It's Legionnaire's Disease. <laughs> it's, it genuinely is a well-written, fun show. I mean, I had such a good time watching this. It's very episodic. It's very Monster of the Week in in many ways. It, but when the writing is this good and the, they did this good a job casting everybody in this, you're like, yeah, I don't care. It even has one of my favorite like one-hit wonder songs, uh, Stop I'm Already Dead by Dead Boy and the Elephant Men as the theme song. And I was like, okay, that was a pretty cool choice. That's a great song almost nobody knows about. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> yes, well, now you know. No, I still don't know. And uh, David Anders, from you, probably, you might know from Alias, uh, who played one of the main baddies on Alias, is playing one of the main bad guys here, who is a zombie who is literally intentionally turning rich people into zombies so he can force them to pay him lots of money for How can for you brains. tell the difference? Between a rich guy and a zombie? Yeah. Sure, I get. No, it's not. A, it's not. There's no, there's no punchline coming through. <laughs> now, I, I do really think this is g- going to be worth your time. It got picked up for a second season. Uh, it looks like it's got some interesting things coming on in uh, the next season as well. Some nice little twists, which is the way a show like this, if it's done right, is going to do. It's going to evolve into more of a mythology as it goes along while keeping more of the fun, um, all the fun. And this looks like the direction it's going. Um, as well, uh, I will say the one downside about this is the only extra feature on here at all is the 2014 uh, Comic-Con appearance. There's no other bonus features. We and it's get only it. Available. Comic-Con happened. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's only available on DVD. You can't get it on Blu-ray, but iZombie is indeed pretty cool. Well, that brings us to the end of our show and our final title, which is our... Pick of the gi- Week? Giveaway! What but is it? The pick of the week? No, it's not the pick of the week. Okay, what you about can, the you? You can tell me later what your after, at the end what your pick. Okay. What, what was your pick of the week? Girl, it's uh, Furious Seven, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. All right. For for sake of argument, I'll go with Furious Seven as well. <laughs> See a landslide victory for for Dom Toretto. <laughs> Family. Uh, so anyway, let me toss your salad here for a minute with our giveaway, which is Salad Days: A Decade of Whoa. Punk in Washington D.C. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. I have to say, they wouldn't know. Because I got to see this. So I already know. But but you guys out there, you don't even know what it was like. I'm just saying they haven't seen it yet, Christopher. They they need to win the giveaway so that they can know. Now look, this is a time period that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I Since I was there when this was happening, or at least part of it anyway, um, it kind of starts with the beginnings of like Minor Threat beginning around like, mm-hmm. 82, 83, mm-hmm. and then goes on towards... Uh, Jesus Christ, the cats just lost their mind. Uh, They're very punk rock kitties. <laughs> yeah, right? And goes on all the way through sort of what they called like, uh, the... Uh, uh, the grunge oh, handoff? Well, no, not really. <laughs> sort of. Like... Uh, 
it was uh, Redemption Summer or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it was uh, it Revolution was Summer. Revolution Summer, yeah. which is when that next wave of punk came in. That was sort of like, well, punk doesn't have to be hardcore, and you know, bands like Rites of Spring and that sort of thing, and you know, Evan Dando and the Lemon. What's funny were both both moments movements were led basically by Ian McKay. Yeah. Like Minor Threat started the hardcore scene and then Fugazi started the the Revolution Summer scene. Yeah, I I loved it. Uh I got to say um very formative the the two most formative people of Young Joe were Bill Hicks and Henry Rollins spoken word. And Henry Rollins is on this. Yeah, and he's on it for a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And there's a couple people in here who are not from DC, but were very influenced by the yeah. DC scene that are here. Like strangely enough, uh, the big boy, bat, uh, the big boys from from Austin, Texas, who sort of were the first punk band to bring in like go-go music into mm-hmm. punk rock, and they got that from Washington DC. I yeah. didn't know that. The, like, yeah. the whole go-go music scene st- was from DC during the exact same period of time. That, yeah, that this yeah, was no, all going it, on. it's a very very informative thing if you give a shit about it. If you don't yeah. give a shit about it, you're at least going to hear cool stories. I mean, it's a decent music documentary with a lot of cool like music and a lot of cool live uh, uh, video from some places some live video is so muddy that you're not even sure why they included it yeah. but but more than not is actually pretty good especially when it gets a little later on like Revolution Summer stuff tends to look better than the original <laughs> quite does. a bit yeah. but you still have appearances from Minor Threat Teen Idols The Untouchables Iron Cross Grey Matter Youth Brigade Dag Nasty Fire Party Fugazi and uh, you know a lot more more people just talking heads coming in, not the talking heads, but you know, yeah. had well-known musicians coming in discussing why this was important and how, in fact, this whole period of music pretty much launched grunge and Nirvana and like all this different though. Everything that came next was started that, that, that vital point started that is not as well known, but it, it came from DC. Yeah. You know, yes. which is a, you know, I would be curious to see, someone else's take on it and see if they have an a, a antithetical viewpoint to that because you know there's a lot of different scenes springing up around the country according yeah. to this dc is responsible yeah no i mean like obviously they're they're ignoring by and large black flag which was based out of la well no that's hardcore they're not saying that dc invented hardcore they're saying it invented sort of aggro hardcore <laughs> <laughs> you know uh but they do say it's responsible for like you know they're, they are claiming it's a response to the proto grunge almost like or which which I, I would I would uh, well, actually you know it makes a large argument for like yeah I kind of invented emo sorry yeah <laughs> oh yeah they, they say yeah this is where emo came from and every band with the emo core label is like we're not emo core stop fucking calling us that and yet <laughs> but it inarguably was born in Washington DC <laughs> whatever it was either way this is actually a pretty fun documentary I thought yes I did too yeah I enjoyed it good time with it lots of cool a pretty cool little history lesson about about the region and and shit you may not even know about that are were huge influences on some of your favorite bands and we are giving away a DVD of it here's what you have to do to win Best two-word punk song title. There you go. So uh, go on our Twitter, at one of us net and uh, hashtag Salad Days, and give us your best two-word title punk rock song. Or maybe just best punk rock song title. Well, no, yeah, yeah, any punk rock song. So, like, let, let's get the ball rolling. Not like, a real one. Yeah, let's say, like, like uh, Infant Monograms. There you go. You know? 
There you go. That's that's a punk song. I'm in. Well, thank you very much for listening to Digital Noise. Once again, please click, click on those Amazon links. Think about becoming a subscriber. And don't forget about our Audible.com partnership as well. Uh, we'll be back in not a week, in two weeks, because Fantastic Fest is going on. I hope we gave you enough titles to keep you satiated for now. Uh, in the meantime, uh, thank you, Joe. Well, no, thank me. But, uh, hmm. Thank you, Joe. Okay. <laughs> I thought we were going to get into a loop there. <laughs> no, no. Uh, and uh, until then, no releases too big, no releases too small, from Criterion to Catastrophe, we review them all. <laughs>